This is Matthew 5, 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Thank you, Beth. This is God's word. Can we give the Lord praise for his word today? Amen. I think we need to pray. I really, I just feel from the Lord that we need to pray. So let's pray together. Lord, uh, we, we, we just look to you this morning. We know that, that the world is a wild and crazy place and that we, all of us uh, have experienced the roller coaster of that, and uh, and Father, it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. Everyone in this world knows something isn't right here, and uh, what, and it's it's uh, Lord, we just we need you this morning. We look to you, and Father, we realize that if you don't show up, if the Holy Spirit doesn't move, then what's the point of us being here, Lord? We ask that you would come. We ask that you would move. We ask that you would you would highlight your word to our hearts. We need you this morning. God, we, we, there's a lot of things that we talk about needing, but what we need today is a touch from you. Matter of fact, Lord, it is the only thing that we truly need in order to survive. We, we can lack food and water and we may die, but if we have you, our soul will be sustained. Lord, it is the one need that we have. We need a touch from you. So, Father, please meet with us. Father, please do what only you can do, Lord. You are the only one who can take this word and translate it to our hearts so that we can understand it at the heart level. We need transforming power from you. So, Lord, bring it this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. This, uh, this topic of Christ fulfilling the law, we, we, we started it a little bit last week. We, we got into verse 17, but we really didn't get that far. We, we sort of started unpacking what it means, but... But I want to dig a little deeper this week. I want to dig into what it means for us to be an active participant in Christ's fulfilling of the law. And we've said this quite a bit over the course of this series through the Sermon on the Mount, but this, all of this is really about repentance. It's really about turning away from yourself and towards Jesus, okay? Because um, I think you and I, all of us, we know when left to ourselves we don't do this very well. Am I right? I, I don't do this very well. If I'm on my own, and, and, and we all have days and we all have weeks where it seems like our relationship with the Lord is kind of dry. Yeah. Don't we? 
Can we just be honest for a minute? How many of you have just been so drained and burnt out by everything that's going on in the world that maybe you felt a little bit dry over the past month or so? Anybody? Let's, let's be, let's, we got to come clean about it a little bit here because that's therapeutic, right? If you go to a shrink, they're going to tell you, <laughs> you, need to, you need to open up your heart. But, but the other thing is in scripture, we're, we're called to be transparent with other Christians, the temptation is always to put on a face, isn't it? To come to church and to act like everything's okay. You know, last Sunday I was severely sleep deprived. I have a, I have a baby in my house. And, um, and some days that's just how it is. Last week, I mean, like after, after church on Sunday, I went home and crashed. And I probably took a two-hour nap, which I don't do. I slept through football games, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's just not how I roll typically. But... But, but I, was, I, I was weak in, in realizing that, just kind of walking through the week, and, and I was just praying about, Lord, I need you. Like last week, I felt super weak. I was low on sleep. I was high on work. I had all these things going on around me, and I was just tired. And uh, last night, I had a really good time with the Lord. I just, I, I just like, Lord, I just need to open my Bible and read for a long time. And I did, and it was good, and God spoke. And so uh, I just want to encourage you, like where we are today, we need Jesus, and, 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 and the Father has to constantly remind me that I need him. I think because I, I've said this before, but, but I'm a religious kid at heart. I grew up around the church. I grew up in this world. And so, like, part of me thinks, man, I know the stuff. I can handle this. You know, it's like, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being there for me. But, but I got this. You know, I, I know the stuff. I know scripture. I can, I can sort of practice it. But reality is I'm not good at it. I need the Holy Spirit. I want to emphasize that today. Uh, I want to read, uh, this, is, this is just good stuff. Um, by the way, if you haven't picked up your copy of this book, we have like three, I think two or three left right now. Um, we can order more if more people want them, but 10 bucks a piece, they're, they're, uh, they're, and that's just what we paid for them, by the way. We're not price gouging you. We're not, we're not pulling an Amazon on you or anything like that, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> it's a great book. Um, but but this, this is out of chapter 2, and uh, I just found this to be really good. And um, So anyway, he, he's talking about, Bob Mumford is talking about his introduction of the individual's journey into freedom. And here's what he says. There are three hindrances to our progress, rebellion, resentment, and independence. Rebellion, resentment, and independence. He says, we find them right at the entrance into the kingdom. Perhaps we are not all aware of their presence in our lives until our eyes become open to the possibility of freedom. Remember the stout claim of the believing Jews. We were never in bondage. But when Jesus began unfolding the rules, their blinded eyes gradually opened, focusing and adjusting to the new light which revealed the extent of their individual bondage. The rules are intended to have this effect. Again, we are reminded to obey for our own good. And, and he mentions Jeremiah 32, 39. Uh, I loved that. I just love that he brought that into, uh, in, into the forefront. You know, whenever, and I, I've, I've written on this in my journal before because I remember it. I don't know where it is in my journaling, but... Um, but, but I remember reading this before where, where, where the Jews said, you know, we've never been slave to anyone. And Jesus points out anyone who, is, who, is, who sins is a slave to sin. And see, we don't, we don't realize how deep in we actually are. 
A lot of times I think that those of us who, who've grown up around the church, sometimes we, we forget that we're a part of that because we get religious. And, and, it, and religion, by the way, religion in and of itself isn't bad if Christ is the one who's guiding it. If, if, if the heart of it is Christ, because religion, all religion is, is practice. And we want to practice our faith. That's not a bad thing. It's not bad to have spiritual discipline. It's not bad to have all these things in place. But when it starts to be about the religion rather than about the Christ the religion is supposed to get us closer to, then we are missing something. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. Jesus came, and, and in this passage, he says, hey, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish it. Which is a really important statement because i got to read from another one of my favorite authors here. This is from Dallas Willard. This is from The Divine Conspiracy. Here's what he says. The law and the prophets have been twisted around to authorize an oppressive, though religious, social order that put glittering humans, the rich, the educated, the well-born, the popular, and the powerful, and so on, in possession of God. Jesus' proclamation clearly dumped them out of their privileged position and raised ordinary people with no human qualifications into the divine fellowship by faith in Jesus. That's good, right? You don't have to have a seminary degree to be close to God. You don't have to go through ordination. You don't have to be born into the right family. You don't have to have grown up in church. You don't have to have the pedigree. To have standing with the Father. Because the only qualification to have standing with the Father is that you have faith in Jesus Christ. And you're, you enter into fellowship with Him by faith. Just believe in Him. Which is, an, is part of the act of turning from yourself and towards Him. I stop believing in myself, I start believing in Jesus. And His ability to bring me through. Now, Willard goes on, he says, that's a powerful message, enough to thoroughly confuse a simple people who lived with their noses to the grindstone and knew no order other than the, the one that was imposed upon them by religious experts, zealously defending their own privileges. So Jesus cautions them to respect the law, to fulfill it, and not to abolish it. There's always that temptation, isn't there, when you have a taste of freedom, to throw off your restraints. Because you can actually go too far into that. Freedom is designed to set us free so that we can live in this free-flowing sort of a life. But it's really easy to swing to the other side of the pendulum and just say, anarchy, I'll do whatever I want now. Which I think is what we as Americans really struggle with. Because we were under the crown. Which, by the way, sometimes looks pretty good these days. But anyways, um, like, I'm like, Queen Elizabeth, she's pretty cool. I don't know who's in the White House these days, uh, but Queen Elizabeth, I kind of like that lady now. Um, I've always been like one of those people that's like, hey, the world didn't really start until 1776. I mean, that's when history began. Uh, that's, that's a joke, by the way. But, but lately, I'm just, I've been like, man, the crown, I don't know. Um, she's very respectable, uh, and no one's arguing, you know, about her place. But anyway... Um, but we, we struggle, don't we? We were under that crown. It was very oppressive, um, so oppressive that, that Americans were like, I'm over this. And we threw all the tea overboard and we started drinking coffee. Amen? Woo! That's right. Forget tea. We're going after the coffee. That's the American way. Um, and still to this day, we don't have tea time. We have coffee time. And we have church in a coffee shop. Uh, but anyway, um, there, th- that whole idea of, of, of just like that, that, like I'm free from those restraints but then what happens when we're free from those restraints and we don't come into the proper restraints 
because restraints are not a bad thing. Remember, we talked last week about how obligation in and of itself is not a bad thing. Obligation can be a very good thing. Paul says we who are strong have an obligation to bear with those who are weak. It's, it's something that we're, that we're morally obligated to do. We're supposed to be kind to people, right? And we talked also last week about how gravity, like we're all obligated to follow the law of gravity, gravity whether we want to or not. And if we don't, it will kill us. So obligation in itself is not a bad thing when we understand it in the right context. When we understand that there are just certain realities in this world that if I live by these particular ways, it's going to lead me to have a better life. It's going to lead me to have a more righteous life, a happier, more joyful life. All those things are going to be true. C.S. Lewis and this is, this is some good news. This is an encouragement here. C.S. Lewis said the command, be ye perfect, is not ideal, idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. Here's the point of all this. Jesus, or God created us to be a people that live our lives in alignment with ultimate reality. And what is ultimate reality? But the character and nature of who God is. Our universe is built on the foundation of the character and nature of God. So to the extent that we are against nature, we are against God. So if if I'm living in sin, in other words, I am living in a way that is contrary to the nature of God, I'm also living it contrary with nature and with everything in this world. And obedience only seems like a difficult obligation that, I, that, 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 is, that is like a weight on me when we are bent towards living outside of the proper natural channels. Obedience only seems difficult and, and, and grievous when I'm living outside of the parameters that God created me to live within. Like gravity only seems like a bummer when I fall, right? When I f- go outside of its parameters... If, if, I'm, if I'm doing all, if I, my balance is good, then I'm happy for gravity because it keeps me stuck to the earth. But if I trip and fall or if I jump off a cliff or, that'd be a real bummer, you know? But, but, but then at, at that point, I am, I'm at a place where gravity really seems like a bummer. It really seems like, like it's, a, it's a taskmaster that I don't want to be under. And that's how it is with obedience to the Father. If I'm in the Father, if I'm within the channels of parameters that He created me to live within, that doesn't seem like such a chore. If we've decided, uh, I, I had this thought last night, you know, because I, for some reason I keep coming back to this idea of the law of gravity, because gravity, we do have a natural obligation to obey it. But I, I thought, you know, I could choose to jump off a cliff, but I cannot avoid my obligation to gravity in that moment. I can't break its rule over me because it, it's simply a part of the nature of the world that we live in. But if I've decided that I hate gravity and its restrictions upon me, even though they are good for me, I may come to resent it. I, I, I may think of gravity as, as this restrictive thing and desire to break free from it. But the truth is that my life is so much better when I'm fulfilling the law of gravity and doing what I should be doing within its parameters If I live according to gravity's dictates, my life is actually freer and I'm not dead. You understand what I'm saying here? That 
that God created a world of order. God created a world of order, and all of it was pointed towards him and towards his glory. And what we as humanity have done, we have broken out of that created order, and it has created chaos for us. The law cannot be abolished. Jesus says here, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. The law cannot be abolished because it is the, because it is the way of nature for all things to be in, in line with God's character and nature. It is the way of nature to be in alignment with the character and nature of God. And living outside of that is not freedom at all, even though we may think that it's freedom. Jesus wants us to be truly free. I always, my, my, since I was a teenager and I memorized this verse, I've come back to this. But in John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes t- but to st- steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. See, God's purpose for you and me is abundant life. His desire for us is that we would have it really good. And he knows that when we veer off the path when our heart is not set on his glory when our heart is not set on being aligned with his character and nature that we are falling right into the hands of the thief who only wants to steal from you to kill you and to to destroy you the kind of life Jesus has planned for you is amazing it's greater than what we can imagine But for the law to be fulfilled, we must obey it by nature. This is where we take the next step. Because we can talk about the law and what it is. But in order for it to be fulfilled, we have to obey it by nature. We participate in Jesus' work to fulfill the law when we live our lives freely out of his work for us and in us. Instead of living out the lies that Adam modeled for us. So here's a couple things I I want to mention. And out of verse 18... Here's what he says in verse 18. I want to remind us of this. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is accomplished. I want to focus a minute on that until it is accomplished part. Because this is important. Because there is a day coming in the kingdom where no one will need a splint. Remember how we talked about last week, the law, it's sort of like a cast. When I broke my arm, they put a cast on it. Why'd they put a cast on it? Because my arm was wonky and it needed to be straightened back out so it could heal. I needed to have parameters so I could heal. And we, because we're broken because of Adam and Eve's sin that we follow in, they're our first parents and we are definitely their children. And we follow in their path and so we too are broken. We've shattered off And we need to be reset. We need to cast. And the law is that form that helps us to remain steady, not going too far one way or the other. It's a custodian over us, keeping us as steady as possible so we would be ready to receive the healing word of Jesus. But the day is coming when there will be no need for a splint. He says that none of this is going to pass away. Until when? Until it is all accomplished. What does it look like when it's all accomplished? Well, we, we talked about this in Jeremiah 31 last week, but, but he says, Jeremiah writes that the Lord is going to write the law of God on our hearts. What does that mean? It means that it's going to be, it's going to be a part of our nature to obey God. 
it won't be something that we even have to think about. It'll just come naturally to us. The law won't pass until it is written on the hearts of every inhabitant of earth. In other words, we won't need the law when the world is fully restored to what God intended for it to be. It will have accomplished its purposes. Christ came to fulfill the law. How does he intend to do that? Well, first he fulfilled it by being perfectly obedient to it, but that's not the end of the story because it continues. His work of fulfilling the law is bringing us into becoming the sort of people who can do what C.S. Lewis said and what the scriptures tell us where we actually can obey every word that God has spoken naturally. That we will be able to, as Scripture says, be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And that is actually what God's plan for you and me is. That we will be perfect, that we will have the law fulfilled in us. And that day, obedience to the Father will not seem cumbersome anymore. It won't seem any more unnatural. It, It will seem as natural to us, say it that way, it will seem as natural to us as gravity itself. It will just be a part of everyday life. It's going to be obvious and obviously good to everyone because we will finally be in alignment with reality. And that is the character and nature of who God is. We, Christians, we participate in Jesus' work to fulfill the law when we live our lives now as if the kingdom has already come in us. Now, we talk about the kingdom as as a... Is, an, is sort of the already but not yet, right? We, you've probably heard us say that um, because that's kind of what it is. We, like, we know the kingdom is real. We know Christ has already brought the kingdom into us. We also know Christ is perpetually praying in heaven, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means for the kingdom to come, to, to be fulfilled, is for this to be a place like it was before Adam and Eve sinned where Every bit of God's will is done. Where earth and heaven are inseparable. Where you can't tell the difference. Matter of fact, the Bible says that in the end, what's going to happen is not that earth is going to be completely destroyed. The earth is going to be wiped clean. And then heaven's going to come here. And God's going to establish his kingdom here. And Christ's throne is going to be here. Like, that's pretty cool. Can I tell you that was always his plan? God put Adam and Eve in the garden to cultivate this world because he was going to have them build a city full of righteous people who resembled him, and then he was going to establish his throne here. And the angels were just going to have their minds blown because of what he was doing. Like, blown. Like, can you imagine the worship now? The way it is gone? God hasn't lost anything. We've lost quite a bit because of our decisions to rebel against him, but God through Christ will have his glory. And all of us who are in Christ will experience his glory with him. And do you understand that that is for our good? We follow God's word and let the Holy Spirit lead us rather than allowing the spirit of this age to lead us. And that is how we participate with Christ in fulfilling the law. One thing I've learned about my life as as a believer is that the more time I spend with Jesus, the easier it is for me to be Christian. When I have times 
maybe a couple days go by when I just haven't spent much time in prayer and meditation of the word, guess what? My link with the kingdom gets looser. That's not that the Lord ever leaves me. He's never left me. I know that's true because I've had times when I've tried to leave him and he keeps dragging me back over. The Holy Spirit won't leave me alone. And I'm thankful for that. Because it means I'm one of his kids. <laughs> you know, like, if, 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 by the way, if you start creeping too far outside of those parameters and God doesn't say anything, that's when you need to worry, okay? Um, but, but for those of us who are his kids, he keeps drawing us back in. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and part of how we do that is we spend a lot of time with Jesus. Because then it's like, our, it's like, the, it's like the veil between this world and the kingdom of heaven gets thinner the more I spend time with Jesus. That's what we need. And there's nothing, I've discovered that in my life there's nothing that can do that for me except for time with him. Absolutely nothing. I do a lot of things in my life. I, there are a lot of things I enjoy. You all know I, have a, I enjoy working on cars. I like fixing up old cars. I've got this really cool 1984 Mustang GT that I'm slowly fixing up. You know, I just got some shocks for it. I'm excited to drive it and not, like, hurt my back. And, um, and, and slowly but surely, and I find that to be a really good thing. Like, uh, to, to, when I work with my hands, it, it sort of helps me. It just, it just helps me connect with the Lord in, in, in a different way. You know, because I'm always up here in my brain, and I'm always, you know, being a pastor, I also deal with... Uh, with my own problems and other people's problems, like almost constantly. And, so, and I also feel this burden in the world for the brokenness. And, uh, and so um, actually it was Dennis Cole who told me, hey, he said, you need to keep working on cars because that's a project you can finish. <laughs> and you feel like you've actually done something. I was like, yeah, you're right. That, that is why I really love doing this. But, um, but I, I, I just, like, it's really, it's really fun. But, you know, like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really feed my soul. It's good for me to take a break from my normal work and do something different, work with my hands. And it's good. And when working on cars is really good for me is when I commune with the Lord when I'm doing it. Or like one of my favorite things to do, you know, some people are going to think I'm weird. I love going to the junkyard. I've said this before. I love going to the junkyard. Um, sometimes I weep a little bit when I see like these really cool old cars that have made it to the junkyard. But anyway, you know, like I, I, I saw a... a, a Oh, man, I saw a first-generation Ford Bronco down there a while back, and I, I, like, I almost cried. I almost had to call my mom. And, um, it, I, I, it was like hurting my heart. But, but I love going to the junkyard. You know why I love it? It's because it's quiet there. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm walking around finding parts that I need, but it's just really quiet. And when I'm walking around, I'm just communing with the Lord. And, and something that is so critical for every one of us is to find time and space, make the time and space to commune with the Lord. And, and, and whatever our, we can have hobbies and things like that. It's not bad. It's actually a really good thing for us to have to do, to work with our hands. I mean, God told us to, to fulfill the earth, to fill the earth and to subdue it. Part of subduing it is working and, 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 and participating in the restoration of all things. When I restore a car, I kind of feel like I took something that probably was going to go to the junkyard and it's not now. That's like participating with the Lord in the restoration of all things. Uh, yeah, it's a car, but I like to think there's going to be cars in heaven, you know. Um, but <laughs> just for fun, we won't need them. But, uh, you know, um, and, and, and I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be internal combustion engines in heaven, okay? Uh, take that, all you uh, climatologists. I'm just kidding. But, um, 
But li- I, the main thing I want to point out, we've got to find that time and space. We need it. Our hearts and souls, we've got to commune with the Lord. And, and, and you can make anything that you do about the Lord. You realize that? He created you to live in this world. You're going to live in this world in the coming kingdom. We've got to figure out, like part of what God is doing is he's training us to live with a kingdom mindset today in all that we do. So what does it look like to work for him? What does it look like to do all these things? When we follow the Spirit's leadership in those areas, we're actually participating with Christ in what he's saying here, to fulfill the law. But in verse 19, he says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Listen, we know, I mean, this, this is probably something that isn't too hard for us as believers, but anyone who encourages another person to live a life in opposition to God's law is not a freedom fighter, but a slaver. The people out there who are telling you to cast off the restraints of the Father, and to do whatever you want, to live the life that you desire, be the person you want to be. One of the, when I was in the philosophy department at the University of Central Oklahoma, one of the philosophers that was, re- that was regularly put on, on a pedestal was Anne Rand. Any of you familiar with any of her stuff? She was a popular, pragmatistic philosopher. And one of the things that she said is she said, I have determined to never live for another person nor to ask another person to live for me. It's one of the most foolish statements I've ever heard. She, she said, I have determined never to live for another person and never to ask another person to live for me. Which sounds like, I mean, a lot of people would say, boy, that's so brave. It's so brave just to live for yourself and not to live for anybody else, right? Be true to yourself, right? How, oh, man, that's so American, isn't it? It's so wrong. And, and, and you're, if you live that way, you're, you're enslaving yourself. Because God teaches us to live a life that is turned away from self and towards others. Because that's where freedom is. That is where freedom is. And anyone who teaches us to live a life that is in opposition to God's law is not a freedom fighter, but a slaver. It's worth repeating. Let's put that in our minds. And by the way, we don't want to be a participant with those sorts of practices. Galatians 5, 1, it says, it, is for f- it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That's so important. It's so important. You know, there's a mentality It's pretty popular in the evangelical world. And that's this mentality that once you receive Jesus, you're forgiven. You can just go do whatever. It's okay. You'll be forgiven, right? It's, and it's not just in the evangelical world. It's just, it's a lot, there's a lot of it in the Christian world. There are people from a Catholic background who think as long as I show up for mass and, and confession, I'm good. There are people who are from, from our background. We got, some, we, got, we got a bunch of charismatic Baptists and Presbyterians and stuff all like drawn in together. There are people from our background who, who, who do the same thing. We think, well, you know, I, yeah, sure, I, I went and, you know, 
I slept around a little bit this week, but I'm, I'm going to show up at church and I'm going to pray and say, you know, Jesus, you forgive me, and he's, it's all good. Or, or insert whatever your pet sin is. I, I picked on one sexual sin there, but there's plenty. We all got our pet sins, don't we? There are so many people who just live like, like repentance is not necessary once you're saved. And that's not true. Repentance is just as necessary, if not more, because we're growing to become like Jesus. And here Paul says, you've been set free. Why in the world would you go back and start acting like a slave again? Like, that is just dumb. Why would we do that? Our minds have been set free. Our hearts have been set free. We are new people. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So why, if you've been made new, would you submit yourself back to the old way? Um, you know, this, this image came to my head while I was th- praying about this. But, uh, but, but this is the image I, I had in my head. It's going to sound funny, but um, the image in my head, this was like a few weeks ago, by the way, when this... The, I was thinking about this. I had this image of somebody handing a severely diabetic friend a brownie. A friend who gives his severely diabetic friend a brownie may indeed satisfy his hunger in the moment, but he doesn't have his friend's best interest in mind for the long run. Am I right? Then there is another friend who gives someone spinach when they wanted a brownie. Knowing he's severely diabetic and he wants... Uh, and, and that what he wants might kill him. I, I don't know why that image was in my head. Maybe it was because, well, maybe because of Stephen. Um, that, that, uh, that, that kind of freaked me out and scarred me what happened to him. And so, I don't know. But, um, but, uh, but I, I did not try to give him a brownie, by the way. Just, uh, I'm not saying that. Um, but, uh, but, but here's what I want to say about that. We live in a world full of spiritual diabetics who want brownies. We say that we live in a world full of spiritual diabetics who want brownies, but we need spinach. See, the person who gives you what you need is your real friend. Are you, you hearing that out there? The person who gives you what you need is your real friend. There's all kinds of people who will give you what you want. Doesn't mean they're your friend. They'll tell you what you want to hear. They'll tell you you're so brave for being true to yourself, but you're destroying yourself. That person's not your friend. The person who's your friend is the person who will tell you the truth, that anyone who lives a life that is contrary to the will and the way of the Father is walking towards their own destruction. And Christ came to free us from slavery to the law so that we could be free, so that God's law could be fulfilled in us so that it becomes natural to us, so it becomes ingrained in us and we become people who obey because we love God because he's in us and, he's, and, and his will is a part of us rather than people who resent the Father and his goodness. You understand that if you, if you don't love God, you actually are resenting the one who wants the best for you. You're resenting the one who brings you the best gifts, who loves you the most. We participate in Jesus' work to fulfill the law when we refuse to play the world's game by rejecting its values while clearly holding up the virtues of God's kingdom in both word and deed. And I want to point out one more thing, and then we're going to close this out today. But he says in verse 20, this is, this is really critical to all of this. He says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
True freedom is when you obey God because you trust that he loves you, not because you're afraid that he is out to get you. The Pharisees and scribes, they obeyed because they were afraid of what would happen if they didn't. They put all these laws into place. Besides the law, there were hundreds of additional laws that were designed to make sure that they don't break the basic laws in Scripture. Why? Because they were so afraid. They were afraid they would go back into captivity, even though they technically already were. But anyway, um, they, were, they were afraid of the, what, what might happen. They were afraid, oh, God might punish us, so let's put all these things into place, all these legalistic, self-righteous laws so that we don't mess up. They obeyed because they were afraid that God was out to get them, not because they loved God. Jesus wants us to be way more righteous than that. The sort of righteousness, that kind of righteousness, by the way, is imposed. But obedience out of love comes from within. See the difference? We participate in Jesus' work to fulfill the law when we truly give ourselves over to loving God with all of our hearts and learning to live lives based on trust in his love for us rather than fear of what he might do to us. All right, I will. We participate in Jesus' work to fulfill the law when we truly give ourselves over to loving God with all our hearts and learning to live lives based on trust in his love for us rather than out of fear of what he might do to us. I asked a couple questions last week, but I'm going to revisit those. I want to ask you this. Do you believe God loves you and truly wants what is best for you? I would love for each of us to ask that question really seriously. I know that, that, that here we are in a church gathering surrounded by other people. I know that for most people, your instant reaction, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But I want to ask you, do, you, do you really believe that in your heart of hearts? Is that the guiding principle of your life? That God loves you and truly wants what is best for you? And then I want to ask the second question that's a follow-up is, do you want to truly be free? I mean, free from sin. Free from slavery to sin. Free from the, the ways of this world that are so twisted. It's so easy, by the way. And can, can I just tell you right now, it's so easy to capitulate. It's so easy to just go along with what's popular. I feel the temptation. I'm being honest with you. I have to fight against the temptation to just go along with pop culture because it's painful. I had a situation last night where I, had, where I spoke truth, and it was hard for me. You know why? Because I knew it was offensive to the person I was talking to, and I got a dirty look. But I, I followed through, and I prayed in that. I was, and, and even afterwards, I was like, Lord, I felt that tension. I really need your help. I don't want to go down that road because I know what's true. Can we, can we all just admit that we're living in tension? And, and every time that we choose Christ, we're moving a little bit closer to being the fulfillment of law that he's actually created us to be, to being like the Father. Every one of those moments, those little moments, are moments of repentance where I feel myself being pulled back towards Adam and I'm choosing Christ. That's important. Being self-centered is only going to drive us deeper into brokenness. 
only by accepting the work of Christ on our behalf and turning towards, uh, turning away from self and towards him can we be set free. Look, Christ came to fulfill the law, and that means restoring you to being the worshiper, the true person, the God-oriented glory carrier that you were designed to be. And that is not going to happen unless we turn ourselves towards Christ and let him work all these things out in us. It's both passive and it's active at the same time. He's working on me, but I'm also picking up tools and I'm joining him. It's absolutely necessary for us to be involved. And by the way, this is how we become fully human. How do I know? Because Christ showed us what it's like to be fully human. And he's trying to bring us into his image so that we can be what we were designed to be. So what I, want, I would encourage us to meditate on this. Because here's the deal. This is, this is not just a word that you hear and walk away. This is, I've been chewing on this for weeks now, <laughs> wrestling with it. What does this mean? What does it mean to, to join Christ in fulfilling the law? Pastor Dwight. Did you say the three yeah. Let me pull my notes back out. Oh, wait, they're right here. <laughs> There's actually, a th- um, yeah, really two questions. Um, do you believe that God loves you and truly wants what is best for you? So maybe those are two questions in one. I don't know. <laughs> do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe God wants what is best for you? And do you, do you want to be truly free? I, I, I do believe that all of this hinges on actually believing that God loves us and that he wants what's best for us and trusting him. If we don't trust him, none of this is going to work. Um, it, it, it will just be, <laughs> it, it will be us trying in our own strength and we'll fail. We have to trust that God loves us. And also we start to question God. That's human nature. We start to question, is, is God really good? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden had the enemy planting those ideas in their head. Did God really say? See, that's going to happen. That happens to you and me on a daily basis. But the character forming part is saying, no, God didn't say that. God said this and I'm going with him. That, that's, for, that's for me. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc. for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.